Welcome to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. This segment of the Clinician's Roundtable is brought to you by Omnia Education, exclusively focused on women's health education. Screening for Down syndrome is offered as a routine part of prenatal care. Where once a mother's age was the deciding factor in screening, the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists stepped forward to recommend offering various screening tests for Down syndrome to all pregnant women, regardless of age. So what are the current screening modalities available, and what's on the horizon? You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Matt Bernholtz. Joining me today is Dr. Lee Shulman. Dr. Shulman is a professor of obstetrics and gynecology and division chief of reproductive genetics at the Northwestern Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago. Welcome, Dr. Shulman. It's great to be here. Thanks. Why don't we start uh, by talking about the burden of disease. Let's talk about Down syndrome itself. Um, How prevalent is it and um, what should we know as our basics? Well, looking at an entire population, uh, a child with Down syndrome is born uh, approximately once every 800 live births. But uh, if we look a little bit more carefully at that uh, particular community, uh, we have long recognized that the uh, frequency of Down syndrome increases uh, as a woman gets older. Uh, and with the general aging uh, of our population, and in particular of our obstetrical population, uh, clearly the frequency of Down syndrome increases as the age of the woman increases. Now, what would you say was behind the change by the ACOG to move into doing prenatal screening for all women regardless of age? Because that was always the deciding factor, knowing the woman's age and knowing her risk factor for Down syndrome. Correct. Uh, well, again, it's been always been very clear that uh, the older the woman, the higher the frequency of Down syndrome and other uh, similar chromosome abnormalities. Uh, but while that still is very true and nothing has changed with that, uh, it doesn't really serve as a good screening test because if we're using just age to determine who should be offered uh, invasive testing like amniocentesis or chorionic villus sampling, uh, we're going to be doing a lot of procedures on women who are carrying uh, healthy uh, uh, fetuses. Uh, and, and while the, we have seen great improvements in the safety of the invasive procedures, uh, there is still a, a small but finite risk for miscarriage, uh, commonly about 1 in 500 to 1 in 1,000 over the baseline. So uh, the thought is, is if we could develop um, an algorithm uh, that would improve uh, our ability to detect who was truly at increased risk uh, and provide uh, only those women with invasive testing, we would not only uh, maintain a high rate of detection, we would also... Uh, reduce the number of unnecessary procedures. Well, why don't we talk about uh, exploring that algorithm? What would be the current standards of prenatal testing at this day and age? Well, I must say that's a, a somewhat difficult question, not because uh, of any complexity, just because of the rapid changes uh, that have been happening with our technology. But um, for the most part, uh, the last uh, five to seven years have been mostly characterized by use of a combination of a screen uh, that takes into account the woman's age, it takes into account uh, certain findings from a blood test, and it also takes into account certain findings from an ultrasound evaluation, what's commonly called a nuchal translucency measurement. Um, 
and you put all of those together into a multi-variable analysis and out comes a fortune cookie that says screen positive or screen negative. Uh, and based on whether that was screen positive or screen negative would determine whether she would be uh, then offered invasive testing and which test, whether chorionic villus sampling or amniocentesis, would be based primarily on the woman's gestational age. Chorionic villus sampling is a First trimester procedure, amniocentesis is a second trimester procedure. Why don't we break down some of the non-invasive testing to start? It seems like the first trimester combined test, uh, which includes ultrasound and blood tests, is becoming more and more uh, popular as far as being elected by the patients. Can you talk about those and their, their uh, advantages and shortcomings? Well, I think first in general, uh, what a lot of women, and unfortunately I think some providers don't necessarily recognize or appreciate, is that no matter how good a screening modality is, it is still a screening modality. Uh, it is not a diagnostic test. So what screening modalities do essentially is adjust the risk. Let's say a woman goes into whether it's sequential screening or universal screening or whatever. Um, and she has a blood test and she has an ultrasound examination. Uh, and she started out with a baseline risk of, say, 1 in 500. Uh, and let's say the results came back and readjusted her risk to 1 in 1,000. That's obviously good. We've been able to reduce the risk that she's carrying a fetus with Down syndrome. But it is not a diagnostic test. It has not told us whether the fetus has Down syndrome or doesn't have Down syndrome. And so while we have made great progress over the last 30 years going from a single analyte like alpha-fetoprotein to a triple test to a quad test uh, to this newer sequential screening and, and, and multiple uh, process screening, uh, it is still screening. It, it still is an adjustment of risk. Uh, and unfortunately, false positives and false negatives occur because it's not a diagnostic test. So women will come in, their risk will be lowered, and unfortunately, every once in a while, they still will be found to be carry, carrying a fetus with Down syndrome and vice versa. Uh, the false, I won't even say false positive, but the more common scenario is a woman is found to be at increased risk. She, her risk goes from, say, 1 in 500 to 1 in 100. Uh, she has an invasive test. Um, and the results are normal. So that's good news, the results are normal, but again, it highlights the issues with the screen, meaning it's not a diagnostic test. I see. And so while we're still on the subject of the screening tests, we've covered looking at the first trimester combined testing, and then it seems like we move into full integrated testing, which you were talking about a little bit, the second semester quad screen, this process screening. Can you talk a little bit about those in details? Well, a lot of it has to do with the comfort of the clinician, the experience of the clinician, and, and when the patient is presenting for obstetrical care. So if a woman comes in at 16 weeks, clearly we, we're unable to do any of the components of a first trimester screen. We're left primarily with a quad or in some places a five analyte uh, analysis, which uh, best case scenario detects somewhere between 65 and 75% of fetuses with down syndrome and a, a, a small percentage of other chromosome abnormalities. And, and so, again, for many of my colleagues, uh, the determination as to which screen to offer uh, is, in fact, uh, limited by the gestational age at which the patient presents. So if a patient does come in earlier, uh, we're able to provide that woman with counseling uh, and let her decide what, if any, screening 
or diagnostic modality uh, she wishes to choose. And when we move into diagnostic modalities, uh, how often are these, these modalities such as amniocentesis, CVS, how often are they elected, would you say? How often are they chosen? Well, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've, um, I've practiced in three large medical centers in my career, uh, University of Tennessee in Memphis, University of Illinois at Chicago, and now at Northwestern. Um, and there are a lot of um, cultural factors that go into uh, determining pa- you know, what patients want. Um, I've been at places where you know, women presenting with considerable fetal anomalies choose not to have invasive testing. Uh, I'm currently at a, at a facility in which many women who aren't even at increased risk will choose to have invasive testing. So uh, it really is difficult to say, and it changes based on you know, patient demographics, uh, geographical location, insurance coverage, uh, again, a variety of things. Um, but for the most part, and, and I'll use my current location, uh, for the most part, women at increased risk will, in fact, at least want to hear about invasive testing. Uh, obviously, uh, most women uh, would like to defer testing if there were something else better. Um, something else perhaps safer, something else perhaps less uncomfortable. Uh, And perhaps that has, in fact, arisen, and I'm trying to give you a good segue here, uh, to some of the newer screening modalities which which have a far better ability to detect problems. Let's talk about them. Because the decision to move in on invasive testing is very, it's intensely personal. It's hard to create a standardized algorithmic approach when you're dealing with um, a decision that difficult for many patients. Uh, and now it seems as though we are moving into some improved screening modalities. Why don't we talk about them? What are, what are, what's out there? Well, I, I think before we talk about it, I think it's really uh, important just to state that uh, the, 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 the fiber that binds everything here is counseling. Um, is the woman provided counseling as to her options, as to her risks? Uh, as to you know what her what she can entertain what what are the potential problems um, it, that really allows the patient to make a truly informed decision uh, to try to take some of the emotion although we never are able to do it entirely but to try to take some of the emotion out of the situation so they they do at least uh, uh, have the consideration of understanding what their risks actually are and what options are available and and based on those options, what those options will actually provide that patient with. Uh, Again, um, I'll give you an example of that. Uh, I have patients uh, that I say, you know, if you're not going to use your screening modality, you know, to determine whether you're going to have invasive testing, don't waste your money. Just go ahead and have invasive testing. And some women say, no, 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 no. And then they get a, an adjusted risk, say, of 1 in 10,000. And then they say, okay, I'll have my invasive testing. So um, it, it really is critical to try to frame, to, to be able to provide the, the patient uh, with usable information. So that being said, uh, what has changed in the last four to six months has been the availability of a brand new technology called circulating cell-free nucleic acid. And it's uh, perhaps a bit difficult for me to go ahead and, and explain it, but basically there is fetal, bits of fetal nucleic acid that circulate in mom. 
Uh, and we now have the technology to measure that. Uh, and we're able to detect the slight increase in fetal nucleic acid uh, in women carrying fetuses with Down syndrome, in women carrying fetuses with uh, an extra eight, number 18 chromosome or an extra number 13 chromosome, or even now very soon even carrying an extra X or Y chromosome. Uh, and so this has allowed for a far better screening modality, and, and I must underline the word screening, uh, but a far better screening modality than we ever had with sequential or universal uh, or even those improvements. We're, we're lo really looking at 95 to 99 percent sensitivity and specificity. That seems like a remarkable step up from the other screening modalities thus far. Uh, it, it, it truly is, and, and I will tell you that uh, at our center here, uh, we've seen about a 40 to 50% reduction in the number of invasive tests being done uh, because many women are choosing to have this screening before further consideration uh, of invasive testing. Are there any barriers to implementing its use more system-wide? Is it a high-cost test? Are there any other barriers? Well, as with any new test, there, it is a cost. Not all insurance companies cover it. Uh, the companies, and there, there are three companies, three main companies that have been offering it, uh, have been good in trying to keep the direct cost of patients down or limiting the direct cost. Um, I think the biggest challenge, though, to be honest with you, is the fact that the perception of this test is that it's non-invasive prenatal diagnosis, and it's not that. Uh, I, I think it clearly is we're taking our first step towards that, uh, but um, it's not that yet. Not quite there yet. Um, what what else is on the horizon? I think uh, is pre-implantation genetic diagnosis also something that's uh, among the newer modalities out there? Well, I think what, what is the next big step is interesting in that it's likely going to lead to actually a reversal of the reduction in invasive tests, and that is the use of microarray assays on fetal tissue. Uh, no longer are we going to be doing, say, a CVS or an amniocentesis just for chromosomes. Uh, we're going to be looking at a variety of well-characterized and well-documented uh, genetic alterations that are going to be able to give uh, women and couples a, a considerably greater amount of valuable information uh, on their uh, developing fetus. Uh, Ron Wapner from uh, Columbia University in New York uh, made a presentation at the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine this year uh, and actually reported that there was uh, close to a 2.5%, close to 3% rate of direct recognized clinical abnormality uh, that was not amenable to diagnosis before the use of this particular technology. So uh, for those women who, who and couples who, who want to know as much information about their uh, developing fetus, uh, we will soon, in fact, probably in the weeks, months ahead, have this ability to offer that. It's not amenable to screening, so women and couples who want to choose this are going to, to have to undergo uh, either chorionic villus sampling or CVS, but uh, it is going to sort of break the door open as far as the information um, uh, potential of uh, prenatal diagnosis. It seems like a very exciting time in your field, Dr. Shulman. It is, uh, and, and I'll say it's an exciting time that's happened somewhat in a whirlwind after about really 15 to 20 years of just the, the same old, same old. Well, on that note, we've run out of time. I'd like to 
thank our guest, Dr. Lee Shellman uh, from Feinberg School of Medicine at Northwestern University. Uh, thanks again for your time on talking about screening modalities for Down syndrome. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. This segment of the Clinician's Roundtable is brought to you by Omnia Education, exclusively focused on women's health education.